1: Bijou
2: Podcasts. Welcome to episode 53 of the Stacey June Show. Today my guest is the wonderful Jill Stark. Welcome to a new interview uh, episode. I'm Stace of The Stacey June Show, and I'm really glad that you're here. Hello! Uh, If you follow my Instagram account or you are even quicker than that and you subscribe to the Stacey June email, which you can all find at staceyjune.com. You may have got a love letter from me and a big, long letter, um, or you saw on an Instagram post that I am pregnant. I'm going to do an episode about that. I might even invite Ben on the show, actually. Um, he hasn't been on this show before. We do a podcast called Couple Goals? Question Mark, Which you can find in show notes. Um, and so we do that quite regularly, but I might intro- introduce him to the show um, and have a bit of a chat with him about our latest news and our life-changing news I should say but I wanted to quickly start this episode by saying a very big thank you to so so many of you that reached out. So many of you reached out and said, I feel weird, I don't know you, but I feel like this has been such a big journey for all of us. Um, So many of you have also said, I'm not ever the person that DMs someone on Instagram, but I had to say congrats. So thanks for pushing through all of those things for this news. Uh, We are so excited um, and I just feel quite overwhelmed, especially just you know, I I go along with my day and I share my stories and I tell them either whether it's on the radio, whether it's on my social media, whether it's on this podcast. uh, And I have done so for the better part of eight years now. And I forget that that's my life and that so many of you listen. It's not that I forget about you, but it's just such an innate part of who I am that it takes you guys just like a friendship sometimes or somebody that you love remind you back of things that you can't always remember yourself and I think at times I don't remember a lot of the stuff to do with our relationship and that's me and you because I feel so f- fucking blessed I feel so grateful that we have this relationship and I have support I have people that want to listen to the story and that that find uh, lessons and gems and and you know things to agree with and disagree and and also find inspiration from, or, or find something in there that that just benefits you in some way. And I, I will never ever take you and um and the audience for granted for the fact that you've been listening to my dribble <laughs> since uh you know since I began this journey. A lot of you had found me in Cairns or in my regional days. Um, obviously a lot of you have come from the Thinker Girls, uh, show and brand. Um, and some of you might be new, but the bottom line is. There's just been this real relationship that's grown over time, and you know, to read messages of you guys saying, "I remember when you tried on a fake pregnancy belly and you were single, or you would cry and, and admit on the radio that you wanted a baby but didn't have a boyfriend," and and you know, all these kinds of stories that are of my life that I have have documented, but they're real stories. You know, they weren't just things for the radio. They are parts of my life, and so. It's just a real lovely thing to have you guys remind me of that stuff. And it was a little bit overwhelming, to be honest, because I hadn't really thought about a lot of those things that you raised. So... I just wanted to say a big thank you and, um, and just really a big thank you for being here, particularly for those of you that remember those parts um, and then so fondly reminded me recently. So um, this baby is very lucky, I know that, um, and we are very, very excited and we're at a place now where I feel like we can really exhale and enjoy some of the process because as you may have known, the last year and a half has been, has been challenging, so it's nice, it's really nice to be here. But my my interview today is with a wonderful woman by the name of Jill. And I read Jill's book, Happy Never After. All of the information is in show notes. Um, You can find her website, where to pre-order her book, her new book, um, where to purchase her Happy Never After uh, book that I'm about to talk about, and all the other bits and pieces about her, um, all in show notes. So don't fear, all the information's there. But I read Happily Never After after my friend, my girlfriend, Peanut, was reading it. And I was visiting Melbourne at the time, and she... Wasn't even the whole way through it, and she actually said to me, You need to read this more than me. This this chick just talks about anxiety and kind of digging deeper into her life to figure out where a lot of mental illness comes from and the work and the reality. And and she said, I just think you will just love this book. And it was obviously given to me at a time last year that, as I mentioned, it was a really rough time for me. And I I I still am trying to figure out whether I was in a bit of a serious bout of depression or the depression was brought on by the external circumstances. Does it really matter? I don't think so. But I was at a point where I thought, and everybody thinks this, and I think it takes time for you to accept that this isn't the case, but everyone thinks the last time they were quite depressed or the last time they had a bad patch is going to be their last time. And then you get out of it and you grow and you flourish and you thrive and you think that time's over. And whilst the time is definitely never the same, there are going to be, you know, hurdles and, and darker times again in your life. It's just the way it works. But every time you land there, you kind of go, shit, I thought last time that was, you know, that was it. Um, and I think some of us have more of those than others. And and if that is you, you're a person that has a, has a mental illness, you you have an anxiety disorder, you may go into bouts of depression, whichever way it looks like for you. Jill is an incredible resource to share information um, that isn't always readily shared about this topic because she pulls from her own experience and she pulls from a lot of hard work that she's done to dig herself out of some really fucking big holes. And she's done that with meds. She's done that with her own therapy. She's done that with different practices. She speaks so honestly about it to the point where in Happily Never After, I was quite triggered at times because at that point, I was going through some pretty hard stuff. So I had to put the book down at times because it is so poignant it's so well written and it's so honest and you know I love a bit of honesty so she's got a brand new book out it's called when you're not okay and it's a smaller kind of bite-sized book which is a toolkit for tough times um, it's a self-care manual for the days where you feel alone and the days where you feel back to that place where you're like shit how am I back here they may happen regularly for you they may happen every now and then but I think we've got to learn ways, practical tools and ways for us to to cope with that time. And it may not be that we sing a song and it's all gone, but... There's got to be more that we can do other than fret and and kind of dig the hole a bit deeper. And Jill's the person to assist with this because she's lived and breathed it, and she does often. She goes into the into detail in this podcast about her day to day life and the kinds of um, challenges that she she constantly has and and has just recently gone through again, which was understandable. One thing that's really interesting that I didn't think um, this was going to come up with this chat, but we talk about finding a therapist. We talk about the relationship you have with your therapist and how it goes in in and out of these weird ways. Like it's a friendship, it's dependency, there's this kind of this intimacy that happens with this person and we talk about trying to find a new therapist. Jill's going through this process. Uh, we talk about how she's feeling through that, and she gives some really great tips on how to find a therapist. So it may be that you're switching like her, or maybe you're starting this this, this journey from the beginning. Uh, so I love this chat. So many of you ask me this question of how you get to the groove with a person. How do you know if they're the right person? And we go into detail with this, um, amongst so many other things. When is it a good time for you to turn to a therapist rather than, you know, turning to a friend? What's the difference between sharing and dumping? How we can make sure that we're taking responsibility for our part in our mental health? How, you know, when to turn to to other help? There's just so many different factors. Um, so I love talking to Jill because I feel like she speaks the truth, but she speaks my truth, uh, and it's a different experience that I've had to her. But she's a person that gets it. I, I really look at her and go, "No, you really know what anxiety is. You really know the the different parts of this puzzle." And I really appreciate her constantly having a conversation where a lot of people see it as dark or draining or heavy. She has it and she's proud of it and she's going to do some really great work in this space at helping all of us find ways to better cope day to day with something that is an epidemic and it is a massive illness that is just not quite taken as seriously as it should but also just approached in a bit of a funny way still I find and I think i don't know i think it's going to take a bit more time for us to really start to to look at the core of things as opposed to the surface issues when it comes to mental health all right that's it from me um if you do want to find out more information from jill jill um, i will put the link of where you can pre-purchase her book which is a separate link um, and you can buy happy never after from her site so uh without further ado please enjoy the chat with jill just wanted to add this podcast may be triggering for people that are going through a tough time or are people that have a mental illness please just take care of yourselves listen where you feel comfortable and there is always the pause or the stop button and you can press play and come back at any time sending you lots of love jill it is lovely to talk to you again
1: thanks for having me great to be
2: here oh it is good to be here it's good to be here with you i am um, I read your last book. I want to talk to you about your new book. Um, I'm loving the colouring and, and the kind of pop idea considering all of the content people, you know, put it in black and white and quite dark <laughs> and yours is just this real um, bright kind of pocket book. But we'll talk about the new book in a second. Um, I adored your last book. And for those of you that have read it along with me, you might have heard it on the Thinker Girls show on a Amari Claire special where we spoke to Jill Um and, and I don't know if you want to go into this, but you've just let me know that Veronica and you, Veronica, who everybody will know if they've read the book, has moved overseas. <laughs> yeah,
1: so in Happy Never After, uh, one of the heroes of that story, apart from me, I think I was a bit of a hero by the end of it for surviving all the things. But um, the other, the other hero was was Veronica, my psychologist, who has been with me for five years and was a revelation, like, like literally life-changing, having been through many different therapists over the years. Um, and she has moved to Ireland to be with her husband's family. So that's been quite difficult. Um, we're still going to be doing sessions via Skype, but it's it's uh, it's quite difficult when someone that you rely on as your kind of, I don't know, she's everything from my life coach to my... Um, I don't know. What's the guy from Karate Kids? <laughs> sensei. Oh, Sensei, yeah, Sensei. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like Mr. Miyagi is Veronica. And she's just moved overseas, <laughs> but I guess that's life, right? And um, I so I have been going through a period of feeling quite abandoned, and it's been quite difficult mm. when the person who taught me that the abandonment issues that I struggle with are, you know, she's taught me where that comes from, how to cope with it. Um, and, and has really helped me see that these feelings that so many of us have of not being good enough, of not being lovable, of being broken, are just stories and that people are not going to leave you. And, you know, even if they do, it's not because you're inherently unlovable and then that person moves to the other side of the world. You're like, oh, was it all a lie? Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I – um, you know it's been it has been a really tough few weeks and my closest friends have pulled me through because i kind of fell back into a bit of a hole where i this sort of um irrational abandoned child part of my brain really started to believe that Veronica was never going to surface again because she just Mm. went completely out of contact for a couple of weeks because it turns out she'd lost her phone but obviously I went through being the highly anxious person that I am everything from she's been eaten by alligators to um, she has that's it she's just definitely left I'm never going to hear from her again until uh, of course I did and uh, but by that point the good thing was I'd already done all the work that I needed to do to get myself to a place of being calm and rational and rescuing myself, and literally the day after I felt like I was back on an even keel, Veronica popped up and said, oh, I'm so sorry I've been missing. And I was like, isn't it great that I got myself to a good place before she appeared so that I can say, well, you know what, Uh, it's me that rescues myself. As much as I have a great psychologist and great friends and great family who support me at the end of the day, um, I know how to, to rescue myself from these periods of darkness that we all struggle with.
2: Well, that's exactly what you obviously need to learn, especially since she's moving overseas. But I want to ask you, because you would have gone through this process with finding her, and I often get asked this a lot about beginning a relationship with a therapist. Where do you start? How do you approach it? How do you kind of start to almost date them? Because I think it's really important that we don't just like ourselves with the first option if it doesn't feel right. But you will now need to you know you potentially you'll still work with her but there might need to be somebody on the ground that you work with Um, what are the kinds of things that you have put in place to think about what you're looking for have you got an idea of what your needs are or is it more of just a sense when you get there and and how could you recommend or I suppose what advice do you have to anybody that is starting that relationship again or maybe for the first time
1: well, it's, first, of, first of all, I think it's the first thing to accept is it's actually it is a real challenge to find someone that you can click with, and that feeling of being overwhelmed and not knowing where to start is perfectly normal. And it, it, our our mental health system, unfortunately, isn't isn't geared up the way we might want it to be um, to allow us to see the best person at the most appropriate time. And I've I've gone through this like literally in the last couple of weeks, where uh, Veronica had said to me that. She was. We would still continue to do Skype sessions, but she thought it was a good idea for me to have somebody on the ground here in Melbourne just um, for when the shit hits the fan and uh, and the time difference, obviously, with her being in Europe, and um, she would do a handover. And I think I was just in a pretty deep state of denial about the fact that she was leaving and I just
2: god and a like, handover
1: that's so yeah. confronting isn't yeah, it it's like ah that's not this isn't don't, don't, a job don't, don't, it's don't like, handball me it's over life. to someone else but she was saying you know she she would she would talk to that person and explain all the work we've done together and I just I think I just didn't want to face it and I was very busy with other things in my life and I just I put it off and then obviously a constellation of things happened at once where um Veronica had gone overseas she was sort of quite unavailable i had um just started a new job and also just had surgery um for the first time i would never had surgery before and and all of a sudden i felt like i was in a hole oh, also my gp um who i would had for many years uh became quite sick and was unable to see me as well so i had no doctor no psychologist new job recovering from surgery oh, it
2: always happens like this yeah it? and
1: i just fell in a hole and then so i'm scrambling around trying to find a new psychologist i I had heard through a friend of a friend that there was a good practice with a, with some really good psychologists not too far from where I live. Um, called them up, you know, in a white hot panic, and they were like, yeah, we'd love to see you. Um, we can see you in six months. <laughs> and uh, oh, I just you fell apart. And then the next person I called, they were not available for 12 months. And in the end, I just started Googling places, and um, I found a place not too far from my apartment. And the I think what a a good piece of advice I think is how the person who answers the phone copes with you when you're in a bit of a panic and I called mm. up and I said I need to see someone and I I'd kind of looked at the website and, and it is very much like dating I was like looking through these profiles trying to find the best the best fit with my mental illness <laughs> or my, or what my font do they use like, on yeah. their website like, what, what kind is, of does pictures she look like, does she look like she's like quite a warm and gentle person or does she look like a school teacher I don't know and um <laughs> And I the woman that I wanted to see had a massive waiting list, and so I was just I just was kind of sobbing down the phone and the receptionist was so kind and so compassionate and obviously very well trained and they're not they don't they uh, they aren't always because um you know it's not necessarily their their job to to be counseling you, but uh, yeah, I think they obviously deal with lots of people in distress and she was she was actually great and said, "Look, I'm going to go away and." find the right person for you, I will call you back in 10 minutes. I promise you I will call you back, which was important for me to hear. Um, anyway, got, went to see this new lady uh, last week and I hated it. I hated every minute of it because she wasn't Veronica. She wasn't mm. my therapist. And I had to come home and, and really, really think about, is this because she's not the right fit or is it because I wish that she was someone else? And I think I determined that it really was um, – latter and i needed to just give it some more time and i went back to see her today and i felt completely different i felt that she was um very intuitive very um compassionate a lot of empathy and yeah, it's, it's very difficult but it is a bit like dating where you you want them to kind of get you but at the same time a therapeutic relationship takes quite a long time it takes a lot of trust It takes you having to be vulnerable, which is difficult when you're already in an emotionally vulnerable place. But, um, yeah, it's trial or error, and today she actually said to me, you know, I'm more than happy to to continue seeing you. I think we could do some good work together, but please know that at any point you can try someone else that is perfectly understandable, happens all the time. You could even try someone else within our own practice. And so she just gave me that permission, I guess, because – for those of us who are um, who who are, who, are, who one, if if one of your issues is um, you just want to be liked, then you almost <laughs> don't want to piss off your therapist by saying, "Actually, can I try someone else?" <laughs> so the fact that she gave me permission to to cheat on her, if you like, um, was was a sign. I think that she's probably someone I can I can work with, and we'll see how we go. And if it mm. if it's not, I think I'm, I'm less kind of. In a state of crisis now, and I, I said this to my friends when I was desperately trying to find a doctor at the same time as a psychologist. I was like, "Why didn't I do this sooner?" You know, I knew that work was leaving, and I knew that my GP was sick, and I should have put things in place. And all of those shoots that you know, shoot is a really unhelpful word. We should ban it. We should ban shoot. <laughs> um, but I said, "You know, I should have done it when I was in a in a good space, when I was well." And and one of my friends said to me, "Well, I would." I would hazard a guess that ninety nine percent of people who are calling up psychologists are not their best selves at that time. Like, yeah, know, the rain all... is pelting. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You're out yeah. there and you're like, "Help me now!" It's the same time that we go and get our tarot cards read or like start looking for mm-hmm. psychics and that kind of thing because we just want answers and we we want support at that time. So I'm trying to give myself a break and realize that yeah, um, it, it could have been a, a smoother transition, but now I have, I am very. I, I feel like I'm very international and global i've got it i've got a melbourne psychologist and a, <laughs> and a dublin psychologist so I'm,
2: exactly I'm,
1: I'm and you've got
2: it. and you've kind of got i mean the greatest thing about these relationships are is you've got that person that knows you and then you've also got this whole opportunity to have this new experience which i think is, it's is never a bad thing right no yeah, that's, that's the
1: thing like you know five years of therapy and, and as i say uh with veronica it really has for the first time having struggled with anxiety and depression since I was a teenager, um, or probably anxiety since I was a a child, really. Um, like the work I did with Veronica was the first time where I'd actually really got underneath that. And that's what I, that's what I explore in happy never after is what is actually driving the anxiety, not just surface level. How do you cope with panic attacks? How do you cope with, Physical um, symptoms of anxiety, but what is causing this? What is mm, the root cause? It tracing from. it all back to childhood. And so I've mm. done that work, and I think um, the psychologist I'm seeing that I saw today, she she said, you know, your level of self awareness is extraordinary. Like you understand yourself really well. Um, that's a testament to the work you've done, with Veronica, and the strength that you have. And I was like, you know, I said to her, actually, my level of self awareness is so high that sometimes I wish it was a little bit dialed down. Oh, me like, too. You know? Like, I yeah. turn this brain off for a minute and just yeah. like. I'm I'm not really very good at zoning out. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I think um, having that long history with someone is really really helpful. But also, it's never a bad thing to try different things, to try new techniques, to to get a to get a fresh perspective on things.
2: Totally, and I think it's as like you say give it a little bit of time, but also know that you can flirt around and, and and have a few different options if you want because if you are ready to do the work and you are starting a relationship, maybe it's the first therapist you've had. It's this great line and, I, I mean, for those of you that listen to the show, you'll have heard me say this before, but it's from Secret Life of Us and what, the character's name was Abby and she goes into this audition. She's an actor. Secret Life of Us, probably half of you are like too young to even know Oh, no, I, I love Abby. She was – She was so awesome. Yes. And I forget her. I think her name was Abby in real life too. But um, she went to an audition and she comes out and I remember her saying, you know, someone said to her, how did you go? And she said, I just reminded myself that I'm auditioning them too. And I felt like that stuck with me for so long for so many different reasons. And I think this is the same as therapists, you know, often with medical professionals or people in uh, particularly the Western medicine, we've really... We're really trained to really put them up on a hierarchy. But just remember that you've got you've got um, a real ability to be able to make decisions for yourself and, and be able to judge and also tell them the things you want to work on. Maybe you've done the fluff stuff and you've figured out how to work through um, anxiety at work and now you want to think about, okay, what was happening for the first three years of my life? I want to go deeper. So make mm. sure you direct them where you want to go to because you're allowed to. It's a relationship. It's not just a... Um, A dictatorship by the expert, you know.
1: Yeah, I would also um, say that I think we often go to a therapist, psychologist, um, counselor, looking for them to fix us. You know, please heal me, please. I am broken. Put me back together. Give me the strategies. Where are the? You know, we're so used to everything being very quick and Mm. uh, magic bullets. Um, Please give me a list of of five, five, five top tips for. Fixing my brain, and that was one of the reasons that I decided to give this new psychologist another go, rather than just saying, "No, it's all bad." Is because I came out of the session saying I just didn't click with her. I didn't feel a connection. I didn't come away with any strategies. And I have talked to my my best friends about that, and they were like, "You know, that's like almost literally word for word what you said after the first time you saw Monica." <laughs> um, and I said, "Is it?" Like, "Oh yeah, you're right." Um, so I think I realized that, and like I think we. Go in there, going. Give me the strategies. I want to walk out here as if you've just gone to the supermarket and put some things in your shopping bag and taken the checkout, and bang, you're fixed. And really, the therapy is the strategy. Um, mm. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's mm. you're not going to walk out of there with your panic attacks fixed or your depression quick fix. or whatever yeah. you're struggling with. Um, and that's that's a hard thing to to hear. I think when you're in a, a tough place, but I think making that first, always try and celebrate the wins and the fact that you're even showing up to therapy is such a huge, uh, a huge win. I think and we should always A
2: huge step, that. Well, yeah. and you always, you know, you you can sometimes feel confronted and and moved and a bit uncomfortable and whatever, but it's all healthy. Like there's nothing. There's, I don't reckon there's hardly any work you can do that's a backward step. You know,
1: it's incredibly brave, and um, I think that if I had my way, every single Human on the planet would be in therapy. Mm. I think we would, we probably wouldn't be in such a mess. We wouldn't, you know. If only we could put Donald Trump into therapy, we would all be. He
2: probably is, but he pays him so much that he says what he says. Well, what yeah, he, yeah. He I we are,
1: we are all basically wounded children, and there's never a greater example of that than the, the president of the free world and the way that he behaves. But um yeah, if we if we were all in therapy, we would be in a much better place. But it is very confronting to look at the parts of ourselves that we we're taught to to hide and to squash and to deny and to push away so that would be my my piece of advice is mm. if you're showing up to therapy even if you feel like the therapist is not quite right yet give yourself a pat on the back for even making the phone call turning on
2: yeah 100% i want to talk to you about um and and i'm thinking I, I mean i'm i'm really thinking of a person that is probably on the cusp of needing to speak to a therapist but isn't and and maybe this is you listening but where do you think is the line for people to have some responsibility with their own health Um, because I've heard you speak about this conversation lots of conversations and I've read your books about your friendship group and I often have this moment all right with, with the amount of times I speak to my friends about particular things and go into detail. And I know that very much my coping mechanisms is to talk and to, to really try and workshop through things through conversation. So my, my friends are very supportive from that perspective. But I think over the past year and a half, there's been moments where I've had to really go, okay, I need to go work the rest of this out with a the therapist. Where do you reckon that line is of of when to know that it's okay, it's, it's a share, when, when it turns from a sharing to a dumping and it's time for maybe for you to move away from using your friends as therapists and actually going to get some help?
1: Well, that's a good question. I mean I, I think I could speak to that in a very raw and real way because I've just gone through that in the last few weeks where my therapist was unavailable and on the other side mm. of the world and not returning mm. messages because her, her phone had been Uh, she lost her phone essentially um and I was in a really tough place and my two closest friends who um, I dedicate the last book to who know me inside out who know uh these issues inside out and what I struggle with I was leaning on them so much that I was starting to feel that it was a burden um and for them I mean it was a burden for them to to have me falling and you know, feeling like I didn't want to be alive. And, and, and that's not to say that I was at any danger of actually harming myself. And I, I think there's a real difference, which is maybe a subtle difference, but I think a lot of people can relate to it. There's a real difference between being in so much emotional pain that you don't want to be awake and you can't, like that existing is difficult to the point of being insufferable um, and actually having an active plan to to harm yourself. And I think mm. I'm lucky that I, as much as I've been in those places, that I've had enough well, I've had enough therapy now to understand that at the end of the day, it is not my friends or my therapist or my family who are going to save me. It is me. And mm. that is a really tough lesson and I've learned it really well, relearned it in the last few weeks where I was really doing it very tough. Um and I did lean on my friends a lot, but my one of my best friends, uh, Jason, who this was—I mean, I'm literally talking about Thursday of last week. <laughs> um, this, is, this is what this conversation? Yes. yes oh wow! I've been in a really tough place really recently, and I think that's for me is something that I would hope to get across to your listeners. And what I I try to talk about in the work that I do and the books that I've written is that when we get back to a place of real struggle and and we're in the hole and it feels really dark and you have this thought of why am i here again what has happened mm. what is wrong with me i'm so broken that i can't get past this that is entirely the wrong way to look at it because i think that it is possible to struggle and still be strong is what i've learned and also um you're comparing yourself to where you were five years ago and not where you were. Yes, five days ago or That's five weeks such
2: ago. an important point because I feel yes. like the feeling can feel the same, but your progress is not the exactly. same, like you're not so in the same place.
1: What I've found is that you know here's me chatting to you now, and on Thursday of last week, and what day are we on today today is Tuesday. so Thursday of last week, I basically cried all day um, didn't didn't want to be awake because it was just too hard um and yesterday i was at work uh you know well by friday i was at work (laughs) um i i went with my friends and they were incredibly supportive but the point where i started to this is this is for me is when i realized that things are spiraling and that i need to take control is when i fall into this feeling of i am helpless I need someone else to save me, whether it's my friends, my therapist, my family, whoever it is. Um, I can't do this alone. And I was messaging my one of my best friends, Jason, back and forth saying, and he'd been on the phone to me that morning um, while I was sobbing down the phone saying, I can't do this. He was like, yes, you can. And then by the afternoon, I was just like, I can't. I, I really, I'm not coping and. Veronica was not answering messages, and he had he had messaged her as well on my behalf because she she um, he is also Veronica is also his therapist um, because you know keep <laughs> in the family. Anyway, yeah, oh, um, Ma, we've got the same situation. Yeah, so, in so, so messaged- I should be
2: getting I should be getting some commission. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My- <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Exactly. He messaged her and she didn't respond to him either. so that sent me into a spiral because he was like, oh, I thought it would make you feel better. That She was, you know, part of me was saying, oh, she's just, she just hates me and isn't responding yeah. to my messages. But he's like, she's ignoring me too, which tells us what we've always known all along. that something's going on for her that we aren't sure what it is. Anyway, long story. But um, I said to Jason, well, if she's not, I can't do this. Like, what Veronica's just gone for my life. I can't. I can't cope. I can't. Mm. I'm not going to be able to do this. This is the woman that taught me how to deal with my abandonment issues, and she's abandoned me. I'm just not. Uh, and I messaged him, and he said, "Jill, you are stronger than this. You know how to get through this." Um And I said, "No, I, I'm not stronger than this. I thought I was, but it was all a lie. I'm nothing without Veronica." And he wrote back to me and said, um, "Jill." That's your infant brain talking. The adult needs to take control. You've got this. And it was such a circuit breaker because I was like, damn you, you're right, you're right. And I hate that you're right, but I had to just stop and dig deep. And I journaled because that was part of the therapy that I find very helpful. I journaled for literally like 12 pages until my hand hurt about what was going on and this helpless child in me who was feeling abandoned by by Veronica, but really, it all goes back to childhood and feeling abandoned by your parents or whatever it is that you struggle with. um And I pulled myself out of that hole because my friends, and I'm lucky enough for that, they, they know now five years ago, they would have dropped everything, come around, sat with me, held my hand, mm-hmm. hugged me. And they still do that, but not when I'm in those moments because they know that that's actually going to make it worse because it's feeding that helplessness, it's feeding that sense of. Um, someone else needs to come and rescue me. So to answer you, your question in the long long-winded way, I, I guess for me it's 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 leaning on my friends to the point where I know that leaning on them anymore is counterproductive and detrimental to me. Um and they know as well their own boundaries where previously they would have jumped in the car and come around and sat with me all night and stayed the night and that I don't need that anymore mm. that I know that the strength is in me um, and so what was really interesting about that was I did all that journaling and I was still exhausted and I and I I went to bed that night but I made a plan for the next day that I was going to do um, I had to, excuse me. I had a column to write that I hadn't written that day because I was just not in the right headspace. So I was like, right, I've got to get my column done. I've got to go to the gym. I've got to meditate. i got I actively chose to not be helpless the next day, and I had a day that was a hundred times better than the one before. And what was interesting was I was sitting there watching TV that night. and I was watching something on Netflix. I don't know. I was just sitting there with a the cat on my lap, feeling like, wow. Look where I've got to from where I was 24 hours ago, and as I sat there feeling incredibly proud of myself, I got this message from Veronica to say that she she was there and she was really sorry that she hadn't got in touch with me. And I was like, wow, wasn't that amazing? Because had I got that message before I pulled myself out of that hole, I it would have been easy for me to look back and go, oh, it was Veronica that, that it was Veronica's message, and it was knowing that she was still there that made me feel better but actually Mm. Mm -mm. I did that. I pulled myself out of it. Um so yeah, it's it's I think we're I think we're a lot stronger than we think we are. And I'm not I hope that people don't hear this and think we shouldn't you shouldn't lean on your friends or that your friends aren't gonna be there for you Mm -mm. when they need you. My friends were absolutely there for me but in exactly the way that I needed it and not in a rushing to my door to put me back together because they knew through what they've seen me go through in the last five years that I could put myself back together.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really fine line. I think it takes a bit of practice for you to find it, but I think it's also. It takes so much practice. It takes so much
1: practice. It takes a lot of trust in yourself. You know, this is, and for me, I think a lot of people, I get asked a lot in interviews, um, you know, how did you, get to the stage of recovery because that that is such a you know um prevailing narrative in the mental health kind of um literacy that we have where it's you're you're mentally unwell then you get some help then you're mentally well that's it you know it's sort of it's it's sickness to cure mm. linear steps that is not how it works for most people um for me, this is going to be a lifelong journey and I mm. think we have to be kinder to ourselves and stop seeing any step backwards as failure. Um, it's not. It's, it's, it's being human and being alive. <laughs> um, it's, it's what you learn each time you fall that helps you get back up the next time.
2: Mm. I want to talk about the word Crazy. And and just these this language that we've we've adopted over the years, whether it's you're nuts, I'm crazy, but in particular she's crazy. Um, we also can refer to the parts of our brain. That's the crazy part of our brain. This is the normal part of our brain. Do you think that those words? are damaging or do you actually think sometimes we need a way to lighten the load?
1: Um, well, there's two ways to look it at it. I do think that, that some language can be quite stigmatising but also I, I really resent people telling me how I can describe my own experience. Yeah. Um, so I talk about my crazy all the time. And it's it's with affection and love and humor. Um, I, I think part of the problem with the way we talk about I, I think I think particular words are quite damaging. For example, using the word using a word like psycho and mm. anything that kind of denotes um, danger, because historically and still to this day, but it is changing slowly. People with mental illness have been depicted as mad, bad, and evil, and dangerous. So if you think about Psycho the movie, that was someone who was a psychopath and who killed people. Um, and the reality is that people with a mental illness are far more likely to be victims of crimes than perpetrators of it. Um, but we still do often see this when there is some sort of shooting, particularly in, in America, rather than blame their gun control policies they wanted. to blame someone's mental illness um it's actually quite rare that that happens so I do think that there's some language that is that can be quite damaging that I try to avoid but um like you self-identify however you feel fit I think um and I think for me just I I try to live my life as well anyone who follows me on Instagram or Facebook would know that there is not a lot about my mental health experience that I don't share because I think that's that's how we that's how we we, we realize that, that there is no such thing as normal and that we yeah. are all in our own way a little bit mad and that's exactly how I end the last book we've talking about. We're all we're all fucked up yeah. <laughs> some way or another, you know. We really are. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear in your podcast, I just did um so, yeah, we. We're all,
2: <laughs> it's totally fine. Yeah. It's very totally
1: normal fine. over here. Yeah. Um, we're, we're all unique and damaged in some way. And what I talk about in Happy Never After, which I think really illustrates this point very well, is that this idea of being crazy or broken is something that I've really embraced because um, this. The idea of me being broken and defective has been has been something that has constrained me for many years. It's something that has has made me feel abnormal, that I'm, you know, sort of on the outer, that everyone else has got their shit together, and I'm this broken, defective human who will never be never be normal. And really what I've learned through some very hard-earned battles is that, you know, the the broken parts of me are actually what makes me unique. Um, and so I talk about in Happy Never After the Kintsugi, which is the, the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery with powdered gold. And they
2: do that. So it's like, for those of you who haven't seen the Instagram meme, it's, it's kind of like a... It's like a, like there's a picture, one of the most common ones would be a picture of a bowl, and the cracks in the bowl are replaced with, is it gold?
1: Yeah. So they have, it's a kind of like golden seams. And so the whole idea of that as a philosophy is that it's making the broken beautiful. It's, Mm. it's nothing is ever beyond repair. And so when we, we are constantly as humans falling apart and putting ourselves back together, and when we put ourselves back together, we might not look the same as we did before, but we can still shine. And those golden seams—they—they are like for me that those golden seams, those cracks in me, are what holds the vase together. So,
2: and also for my, me, adds the beauty. And yeah, and beauty, I'll put a link really to nice. the picture because I think it really does show. Yeah, and that as Rumi said, it's
1: like the the wound is where the light enters you. It's the same. Mm. It's the same concept. So I think. I, I absolutely embrace my crazy and I embrace my broken parts and I wear my emotional baggage with pride. Like I've got a bag that says emotional baggage printed on in large mm-hmm. capital letters on the side and I carry that around with me And um, because we've all, got, we've all got it. We've all got emotional baggage. We've, we're all a bit broken, but that doesn't mean that we're beyond repair.
2: I want to talk about celebrating the different forms of crazy or, or those parts of our personality, whichever way you want to define it for you. It was interesting because I'd done a lot of work um, on myself and going backwards into my childhood and and understanding why there was such a sense of abandonment for myself personally and, and just a real panic, a real fight or flight life is where I sat, sat right on the edge at all times. And my anxiety started to play out very differently last year, and I, it, it started to turn. My panic attacks started to turn more into rage. They kind of I went from like zero to a hundred, very quickly. And it, it, and I don't know if that was because I was in a relationship where I felt like I could push someone, or whatever the reason was. I, I just thought that I was turning really angry and 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 hated myself for it like hated myself but to the point where i'd end up in child's pose on the ground trying to breathe to to bring myself back to a place of who i am you know rather than than what was going through me or what was channeling through me and i think what a lot of people found interesting when i shared this was i never thought of that as anxiety before And I wanted to talk to you about different ways you've experienced anxiety or different ways that it's flared up for you, or maybe even different ways that you've heard with friends or in your experience with lots of people's stories to kind of really put a bit of a spotlight on the different ways that this crazy, or I guess this form of anxiety can show up. Because I think a lot of us feel like it's such a personality trait that if it doesn't come up in a tight chest or a, a real classic, I'm in a, I'm breathing into a paper bag, I've lost my breath, then it's not anxious. I'm just a shit person who has issues. But I think there's lots of different colours that it can show up. Is, is it, does it show up differently for you, or has it been fairly consistent?
1: Oh, I mean, how many shades of grey are there when it comes to anxiety? Like, it's just, it, it's everything. It's, it's. Oh, I've learned this. I mean, I'm, I'm like forty three, and I, I um. Keep finding new ways that my anxiety manifests itself. <laughs> I know. Like, oh, it's that's such... nice.
2: I know, <laughs> Me too. And hello, like, old what? friend. Yeah. Like, it? It's a new costume. Screw you. Yeah.
1: So I mean, everyone is different, and I think it's just becoming aware of what the patterns are, but also being conscious that you might be aware of your patterns, and then anxiety will just throw anxiety will just throw. A Plate hand grenade totally. into it and go, well, here's this. Oh, yeah, you passed out on the tram. Like, great. But yeah. I, I nearly fainted on the tram yesterday. I actually mm. couldn't work out why this was. Like, I had to – ended up, like, two women were sort of saying to me, are you pregnant? Do you need to sit down? I was like – Yeah, have you, you not know, eaten? Or, yeah, yeah no. and yeah, I was yeah. just like, no, I don't know. And then I was having a friend – I watched my friend Jason, and I said, like, I just don't know what's going on. Like, why, you know, maybe, like, have I got, like, low blood?" Blood pressure, when he's like, do, "Do you think it might just be your anxiety?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, probably," because over the years, um I have, and I talk about this in Happy Ever After as well. Like, I have been tested for every physical ailment you can imagine. Like, over the years, where I've had, I've had everything from pelvic pain to gut problems, headaches, sleep issues, um tremors, like well, just all sorts of things that all ended up being anxiety allergies so I, think, I think and i just want to
2: add to this my cough i feel like has been a form of anxiety i've been a faint out i feel like my panic attacks turned into anger i've obviously the classic tight chest but just to give a full rounded picture as well just to add for those of you listening of going oh shit i didn't really think about it well, from that perspective i do
1: think that a lot of people don't actually understand that and this is why people end up in in the emergency room because they think they're dying and like i have thought i've been dying on many occasions, but it's like oh yeah it's just anxiety like it's it's actually quite extraordinary what the body can do and how it manifests itself it's it's essentially trying to tell you that there's something out of whack but um yeah it's i i honestly think like i used to have really bad um pain during uh maybe too much information but well we might as well go there no 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 it's never <laughs> in a in a relationship about – about 10 years ago where I used to we got to a point where um, being intimate with my partner was painful and I couldn't work out why because I had mm. been an issue before and it was a pretty dysfunctional relationship at the end and we went to see a therapist and went to a counsellor and the counsellor said, you know that I was having this pain um, during sex and, and he said my partner said that well I don't really know why I'm here it's her problem not mine and that was that moment I was like okay this is my vagina telling me get out of this relationship because Mm. this is all wrong. And it was, like, it was anxiety because if you think about parts of your body contracting to try and protect you, um, it was my body telling me something is wrong. And I knew something was wrong with the relationship but I wasn't really willing to accept it. So I guess what I'm saying is um, there's just – myriad ways in which anxiety can manifest itself. I think for men particularly, I see this in a couple of my male friends who would never, would, as you say, unless they're kind of in a darkened room rocking back and forth and they don't think they've got a mental health issue, mm. um, that they their anxiety will be uh, medicated with alcohol um, quite heavily, so and that's that's the way of coping that's um, how
2: we do it in my family yeah yeah uh
1: or that they will be fixating on issues at work that they can't possibly do anything about and are way outside of their control and are, their their, their um, reaction to what's happening is completely disproportionate to the situation that's anxiety you know the these things that they just see as part of their everyday life are actually signs that something is a bit out of balance. So I think anxiety is that that strange and wonderfully um, complex beast that it can be almost anything you want it to be, Mm. which is is, uh, both terrifying and liberating at the same time, I think.
2: It is liberating when you think about the conversation your body's trying to have with you, though. And I've always tried to get back to that point is that, in a way, um, you know, it is an int- Obviously, there's levels, um, and medication is needed for a lot of people, and that's fine. It's, it's different for everybody. But I've always danced a fine line of that for myself because I've also had such respect for my anxiety in a real fucked up way where it's like, this is a real conversation point which is an open conversation between my body and me um and I might not always be able to catch things that uh that you know my body's trying to remind me to catch or to at least pay some attention or at least to be curious about so it is it is an interesting piece of information that you can get if it's not to a point where it's so severe that you're not actually even taking the message (laughs) yeah
1: or sometimes you know you like the 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 signals that the body is sending you aren't always um, aren't always accurate. So I oh, a struggle a lot with, yeah. um, with physical with physical anxiety, and what happens is uh, the physical sensations of anxiety. So just to name a couple that I struggle with daily, I feel like um, my head like is full, like so full and full of thoughts, and um, it feels like hundreds of little fire ants scuttling around nipping at me and just, you know, just constantly. And I just want to like tap my head and like tap my ear and like pour them all out like mm. like water. Um <laughs> empty it. I, yeah, empty it all out of my head. Or sometimes my brain feels so full, I just want to like squeeze it out like a like a really heavy sponge. Um and I, like I often feel this real sort of sense of butterflies fluttering around my heart, like a really fluttery feeling. Um and those Sensations. The more that I fixate on them, and the more that and this is how anxiety works generally, is that you have you have a sensation or a thought. You think to yourself, "That's not normal. What's going on? Oh my god!" And then you get more of the sensations and more of the thoughts, and then you're in a death roll, and it goes round and round and round. Um, so my body is kind of in fight or flight response, fight or flight mode, quite a lot. And so it's telling me that there's danger, but actually there is no danger. There
2: isn't, yeah. So
1: I think it's learning to to know it. sometimes you have to let those sensations be there and the more that you focus on them, worry about them, panic about what it means and that you're going mad or that you're broken and that there's something seriously wrong, the more energy you give those feelings, the worse it gets. And so it's, it's really like, opening up and accepting how you're feeling and just going, oh, that's a sensation. It can't physically harm me. It might feel unpleasant, but it actually can't harm me. The only way it harms me is if I get into the death roll and keep giving it energy. So, And I would say as well, I think a lot of people who struggle with anxiety daily because, I don't know, I've I've battled both, but I sometimes think that anxiety is worse than depression because... It's just so exhausting. It's, it's so exhausting. And I think a lot of people who struggle with anxiety think that they're weak and that there's, they're, you know, they need to get over this and there's some sort of weakness. Well, I would say to those people that you're you're a fucking warrior because every day you get up and you deal with this shit and you go out and sometimes you might not go out but you wake up and you're breathing in and out and you're dealing with what a lot of people would find unbearable and you get through it and you learn how to function and that's an incredibly strong person here, here. that is not a weak yeah. person so give yourself a break well that brought tears to my it. eyes because
2: I think I even needed to hear that today
1: yeah I mean
2: it's I, not said enough it isn't like there no. isn't anybody telling you that there is a whole other I don't know just like Circus of animals in front of you to get to the same point as another yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's
1: like, so true, right? Like you've got to battle through so much more yeah, just to get through chaos. your day, yeah. and you do it. And so many of us do it. Like we put on the face and we go to work and we show up and we go to events or 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 we don't, but we still get out of bed and we still function and we get through it. And you know, and yeah, it sucks and. But it's not always that acute and I think that one of the the best things you can do for yourself and one of the the things you can control is to stop beating yourself up and telling yourself that you're some sort of weak failure for feeling the way that you do when so many of us feel the same and when what you're actually contending with takes an incredible amount of strength to get through. So just like be kind to yourself. To treat yourself the way you would a friend who was going through this. You wouldn't say to your friend, "What the hell is wrong with you? Like pull yourself together. Get out there." Like you would be kind and you would say, "That sounds really hard. Like but hey, look at you go. You're hmm. still here." Like that's,
2: that's and I I think it's it's actually quite exposing what How you responded then to the, I don't know, that kind of conversation between your body and yourself is exposed my, the work that I'm currently doing, which is growing up in a fix it household or understanding my role is to fix it is to constantly be looking for the answer as to what my anxiety is giving me. And I actually am going through a lot of work and have been for a little bit now of trying to understand energy and how energy works. Mm. And as a resource, I'll, I'll put it in show notes, I have a conversation with an energy worker and a healer that I work with on my podcast and he speaks to this very clearly and concisely and gives a really clear, um, I guess, direction around how you can channel energy and and let things go and try and find ways to not have that step the step two become another thought or another, I guess, Mm. another addition to something that may not actually originally be a message at all. Um, And I think that's a really good point. So I will, I'll put that in show notes because I think they do have, they all have something, but at the same time, I think you're right. It, It can also be to a point where I was doing so much on my cough. I had a cough for like a year and it got to a point where everybody that I'd seen were like, okay, well, we've got your pulse up and, you know, Chinese therapists are like, yep, everything, is pulse is strong and, yep, we've done the tests here and there's nothing wrong with, you know, you don't have asthma, you don't have this, you know, all the different types of things in the world and it just came down to the point that I think I'd started a bit of a pattern that I wanted to get rid of this cough so bad that every time I felt even the slightest bit of tickle or something, it, it was just such a um, – a spiral effect which was was often led by something that probably wasn't physical at all and so it is it's it's been a real a real challenge for me to try and try and figure out what are those messages and what are, are things that are probably not serving yeah, and, me and
1: also like learning your patterns i mean i think one of the things that i've i've learned through therapy and through um, experience and recurring patterns is that i have um, for many reasons which I explore in the last book but I have this sort of baseline need to to be anxious and that's not to say that I I made this happen or you know, it's my fault or that somehow like I want to live anxiously but it, and time and time again when life is going well and I think a lot of people can relate to this feeling of life's going really well when's the you know, the cartoon Anvil going to fall on my head. (laughs) Like there's something's going to go wrong because everything's going too well. And so for me, it manifests as things are going really well. And then all of a sudden I'll just be hit with with like this week-long panic attack or this week-long sort of, I'm really anxious. I can't figure out why. It's because I'm looking for reasons to prove the theory that I am broken. Mm. So when I'm well, it's that familiar pull back to, it's a a, dysfunctional pattern but it's a familiar in some way comforting pattern that we learn when we're kids about how we relate to the world it's like well I am broken and that's why I didn't get the love that I, I wanted or that I craved and so therefore I have to to play that out so once I've realized that and I'm often like four or five days into it before I go you know whether as you say it's a cough or it's something it's some I'm fixating on something like oh you know my apartment needs work done. I'm going to have to spend twenty grand fixing the balcony because I got one email from the owners corporation talking about potential work that might need to be done. And I start fixating on that, and thinking, "This is the thing. This is the thing that's gone wrong." I'm looking for reasons that um, I'm I'm somehow broken. So I think that's that's something to be aware of as well as like it,
2: sometimes we take comfort in the shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and you look for, you look for god damn the irish to,
1: catholic yeah for reasons of your own your own um damage where it might not necessarily be there so yeah in terms of picking up on signals your body's telling you that is a tricky one because in some ways as i said before sometimes your anxiety does manifest itself in ways that that you need to pay attention to um and other times you need to actually just accept what's happening and realize that those sensations in the body don't really mean anything and There is no danger, but it's getting to know yourself and your patterns well enough to know the difference between the two.
2: When You're Not Okay, A Toolkit for Tough Times is your new book. It'll be out in a month's time. All the details of of information of how you can purchase it will be in show notes. But it's essentially a bit of a manual for the days where you feel pretty pretty broken as we've just discussed, but also quite alone and, and where you just think, well, is this ever going to end? And I think I've had a rough couple of years, in particular the last year has just been quite challenging. And we spoke before we we started recording where I said, you know, I've really had to think about whether I was going through a bit of a about a depression or my anxiety was flaring up or a bit of both where I just had really external factors that were very much challenging me and that highlights a lot of that stuff but there were so many days where as we spoke about earlier as well a feeling felt so raw and so familiar like when you were 17 or when you were 23 in that tough year or when you were 34 and it takes you back and you think this is it like this is my life like I'm forever going to be this broken person how, I mean, with that, obviously you've written an entire book about these kinds of examples, but are there particular points that you wanted to get across to people feeling like this about how these bad days can be approached? And when you say toolkit, what were some of the main things you you were passionate about people understanding about these times?
1: Um, so, I mean, it's a pretty small book it's quite accessible hopefully um and it's it's kind of divided into different sections so depending on what you need in that sort of particular moment um it's everything from the basics like there's a chapter on the basics which is you know um make your bed if you can Mm. that actually just makes a difference to the way your brain is processing the day and or it could be um trying to put food in your body, even if it's just anything, like to try and eat something. That, that, that that's a big on those one for me. I, don't, be...
2: I lose my appetite big time. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, and, and that's such a common thing. We do lose our appetite completely. When I was really unwell, like I was just a struggle to eat one meal a day because it, the whole thing was, a, was an ordeal. So I've got some tips around that and how to approach that. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, I have a chapter on... How, how to ask for the support that you need in the way that you need it. Um, with a, a chapter on on switching off and how to um, have a better relationship with your phone and your devices. Uh, trying to be kind to yourself, as I said. Like, I mean, the first the first chapter is is about acceptance, and I think that is that is a really that's a a big one, and it's a hard one when you're really struggling to accept things because our natural our natural instinct as humans is to push away anything that's uncomfortable, and so accepting how you're feeling is is difficult and so but it's actually it's actually really, really critical in getting through those tough days mm. um, and If I think about the day that, that Thursday of last week where I was just didn't quite know how I was going to see myself through the end of that day, it shifted when I was like okay two things happened one one I became a a parent to the child who was freaking out and let the grown-up part of me take over and look after her rather than her just running the show and spinning out um I looked after her but I also accepted this feels shit um I can't control it right now or you know I can't there's not a lot of certainty but there's things that I can control you know the basics like uh going to the gym meditating um doing everything I can to accept what is happening and I know that sounds people don't want to hear that when they're they're in the ship they don't want to hear oh just accept it and I know I don't either but but the simplest
2: actually- stuff sounds really easy and that's why people don't do it a lot of the time I spoke about this in coaching it sounds really easy so people think it's not going to do the change that I need. So it's ignored a lot of the time, I think. But actually, I, I from my experience, that simple stuff is the hardest. Like making the bed is kind of – is almost like this symbol to yourself to look after yourself. And in those times, it's so hard. And also accepting that it's tough and not ignoring or kind of fighting it. it those things sound really simple but they are so impactful because they're actually not that easy to do.
1: No, and, I, and it's things. And when I talk about acceptance, and I'm also talking about really leaning into the chaos, like really leaning into the pain and feeling it in all of its depths. And I, I have not um, there's a in the in the acceptance part of this book, I talk about what I call carpet grieving, <laughs> I and mean, in my which hallway, grieving. Carpet grieving. So crack. so that's when I'm like face down in the hallway carpet. That's where I do all my best sewing. So I actually Kitchen no or bathroom for me. I think I prefer the tile. That's something it might be you might be crying in the shower. It might yeah. be, you know, on the couch in the fetal position, wherever you are. For me, it's curled up in a bowl in my hallway, which is my hallway's like a sort of part study part hallway. And um it's where all my books are. It's sort of quite a calming place and I I lie there and I just sob until I can't basically cry anymore because that's actually, you think about it when you've got a cold, your the nose streaming, the cough, that's your body's way of getting the physical yuck out of you. The same when we cry, it's the way of getting emotions out of us. It actually really releases those stress hormones. So there is actually science behind letting yourself wail and sob and get it all out. So... Um, I always find that it's quite helpful Um, and, yeah, like just not resisting that pain but actually making space for it, which is terrifying often because you're like, I don't want to touch the sides of this pain, but sometimes when you do, that's when you realise that there is a part of you that's still in there that has strength that can pull you out of it. And that's the tip.
2: You don't get to choose the tips. This is the interesting thing. It's like, please give me the tips. Then you're like, this is my tip. I don't want yeah. that tip.
1: <laughs> Yeah, be like I don't want that. I, it's like the same same as what I was saying before about therapy. You're like, give me the strategies. And it's like, well, you don't want to hear the strategies, but like, they're it. Like, um, I also have. Like, there's like, there's I think there's something like a hundred something tips in this book. So if people wow. are up for, if, if people are up for that kind of give me strategies, this is the book for them. Right? It, it is full of tips. It might not be the tips that you want, but there there are all basically tips um, and lessons that I've learned through all my own struggles, and it's things like um, the things that you can do that will actually stand you in good stead for those moments when you are really struggling. Almost instantly, Um, yeah, right. Yeah, so for example, I have an app that I use. um, It's called uh, Mood Pixel, and um, it basically allows me to chart my mood every single day. By color,
2: oh wow! So,
1: so you got five colors. Uh, you can pick your own color palette. Mine are like dark blue, is the worst day. Light blue is a bad day. This kind of beige color is the is the day that is the day that most of our lives are made up of. If you think about it, there's those kind of beige middle of the road days. Then, um, light pink is a good day, and then this hot pink is an awesome day. So, I do this because if I don't, then in my darkest moments my brain tells me you have always been like this you have never had a good day you are getting worse everything has been bad for years and months Mm. and then i look at my little calendar and it shows me two days ago you were in the hot pink today is a dark blue and that sucks but this is the reality you know so um there's lots of apps like that out there. The one I, I think I used previously was my Year in Pixels. And I find one I like a bit better called Mood Pixel, which is, yeah, it allows you, and you can also add into it a range of emotions that you were feeling on that day. You get to pick from a whole bunch of them. So you can look back and see what was going on. You can add in what you were doing on that day. You can take notes, like, you know, whether you were with friends, whether you were at work, whether you were. What's it called? What Again, I'm going to put it day? into our show notes. Um, Mood Pixel. Mood Pixel, okay. Um, it's free. I think yeah um and it it gives you this it does graphs it does stats it tells you you know like how many like what your average so like I've I've had I'm just looking at mine now um in this particular month so far um I've had uh sorry, hold on um it's been pretty mixed because it's it's not been yeah you've had a tough not been the best yeah, yeah, yeah. best month so far but even having said that my um average stat for the month out of five is two point nine so it's still it's still better than halfway it's still better than um so I've had two awesome days five great days two okay days, and two bad days since I've started recording this this month um because so, i I actually forgot to do it for a long time and I that, that often that's the case like it's like anything you don't do your homework until you're it's it's absolutely due so um i've often not done all the right things like meditation and journaling doing this mood diary until i'm in crisis so now Hmm. i'm being very very disciplined so yeah that's something that you can do that will um allow you to in the middle of the storm actually see uh, a bit more clearly another thing that i do is like we all have stories we tell ourselves about who we are why we do things um what's wrong with us and if, you know if you're like me they are often very those stories are often terribly unkind and wildly inaccurate distortions of our lives that we in tough times replay on a loop um so some of mine are you know I'm helpless I'm defective I'm never going to get better um like those kind of things i put them there also in my phone in in a little bullet point so and I realize that every time things are tough, it's the same things that come up. So it's learning to view those things we tell ourselves as just they're just tired old, like you know, like happy characters and tired old Stories. Tired yeah. And the whole story, yeah, mm. like, story. Oh, it's like watching a crap movie and going, oh, it's that same that same character again or that same storyline again. And invariably when you go through these tough times, it's the same things that come up again and again, which I think is actually quite comforting because it's like, Well, oh yeah, I recognise that. It wasn't true then and it's not true now, but it still it feels very real. But if you if you write these things down, um you can refer to them when you're like in in the hole and you can go, Oh, actually.
2: And it gives you perspective too. So someone says, How are you going? You're also like, you, if you don't have that perspective, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, not great. And, and yeah, maybe yeah. you've had one day, one not great day in that week, but you forgot about that brilliant job day that you had and all those kinds of things. So You
1: do. And, yeah. and that's why I, I keep, um, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners would, would do this as well, uh, but I keep a gratitude journal. I, I journal as much as I can. Um, just generally about what's going on in my brain and that the, my, my my journal journal is is generally not a happy place because that's where I go to dump everything and to do all that work so my gratitude journal is kind of like a counterweight to that um and it, again I often find myself going back to the gratitude journal to remind myself that even on the shittiest days you can find stuff a yeah. of light, you know and that there was something that I was grateful for and there was something that brought me joy and there was something that I felt loved and, and loving and all of those things. So, um, yeah, definitely putting these things in place because our brains will try to trick us when we're in the tough spot that everything is bad and there is nothing to be um, optimistic about. Um, I am absolutely not a fan of um, positive thinking and all that bullshit about um, just repeat affirmations in the mirror until you believe that you're... <laughs> you know, I'm loved and I'm happy and I'm this and then that. And it's like that's a really tough thing to do when your brain is telling you mm. the entire opposite. So I think the Gratitude Journal is not about it's not about like trying to put a positive spin on things. It's just about looking for the chink of light on a really dark day. Mm. And it's always there. Mm. It is always there. Even if it's a basic thing like got out of bed or for me, you know, complete two complete strangers on the tram. Like tried to help me when I looked like I was going to pass out. You know, these are these are these
2: are things that are worth recording. Mm, mm, so true. If you haven't also read Happy Never After, do it. Was a incredible read for me. Um, it was quite triggering at some points, and I, and it was, but it was such a great, honest conversation around mental health and this particular topic and all the things that we've discussed in your story. And again, I just want to thank you for that book. But When You're Not Okay is out, a toolkit for tough times uh, next month in September. Again, I'll put all the details of show notes to all of this stuff and to Jill's website, because from what we've been discussing, I think there's much, much more we're going to get from you, lady. (laughs) Um, And I think you guys listening will be totally interested to hear about that stuff. So um, make sure that that you check all of that out. Jill, it's been such a a great chat. It is always so refreshing and such a, I don't know, just a fulfilling conversation to have with you, honestly. I I really do mean that. So thank you very much for for being you. Thank you you so much. (laughs) I really
1: appreciate um, all that you do and I
2: really enjoy our conversation. Me too. Me too, mate. All right, thanks. Thanks, Jill. Bye. Bye.